Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's David Hawkins of the Marriage Recovery Center in Seattle discussing the concept of toxic marriages and how emotional turmoil stemming from troubled marriages can actually lead to physical illnesses. Then it's Randy Hempel of Life Ministries of Birmingham sharing about how men can experience God's restoration in their lives. Then some relevant comments from Jason Benham. He's written a book with his brother David about being bold in the Lord while incorporating a spirit of brokenness, being humble before God and compassionate toward other people. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tim Witter of the Parents Television Council with response to a part of that report on school safety prompted by last year's Parkland shootings dealing with insufficient media ratings. Also, you'll be hearing from Richard Simmons of the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham providing biblical insight into a critical question about life, namely, why am I here? Finally, Lori Stanley Roloveld offers comments relative to engaging in hard conversations, addressing the fear that holds people back, and how to approach those times when truth needs to be spoken. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. David Hawkins is the founder of the Marriage Recovery Center in Seattle and has been known as the Relationship Doctor. He talked with me recently about his latest book entitled In Sickness and in Health, the Physical Consequences of Emotional Stress in Marriage, in which he addresses toxic marriages and how the stress of such a relationship can actually produce physical ailments. From that conversation, this is David Hawkins. Prior to two years ago, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't ask people how they were doing physically. That's not what my deal is. I'm a psychologist. I'm a marriage counselor. So I asked how their marriages were. How are they feeling emotionally? And for one reason or another, I began asking, well, by the way, how, how are you doing physically? And here's where some might think I'm exaggerating, but Bob, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Literally every woman that I ask this question to, they give me the same answer. And this is now over two, three years. This is hundreds upon hundreds of new phone calls that I take, new people that are coming to see me. And the women, and by the way, it's different with women and men. That's why I'm saying women. But the women immediately tell me, oh, my goodness, I am suffering from fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, Lyme's disease, autoimmune disorders, headaches, anxiety, depression, exhaustion, brain fog. So, so, Bob, just yesterday, true story, yesterday, new person coming to, coming to see me, I asked, uh, no, excuse me, I didn't even ask how you were doing physically, did not ask the question. This time, within two minutes of the conversation, the woman said to me, oh, my goodness, I'm struggling with Lyme's disease. And, and I said, whoa, before you continue, let me ask you something. Do you also have any kind of exhaustion or brain fog or autoimmune disorder? And she said, I can't believe you're asking me this. I, I, I rarely get asked to talk about this. But and then she went down the whole list of symptomatology that I just listed for you. So the point I want to make to you is, of course, there's a correlation between physical health and emotional and spiritual well-being. Of course, there is. 
Um, but but just like doctors probably don't ask very often about emotional or spiritual health, psychologists and marriage counselors don't frequently ask about physical health. I want to circle back to something you said, that this is something that affects women and men differently. How so? Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, and I, I wish I could tell you the reason, but men, men tend to work excessively, they drink excessively, they do crazy mountain biking and, and, and mountain climbing and uh, kind of wild daredevil experiences. And just for whatever reason, they don't tend to somatize or carry in their body the physical stressors that a woman does. I don't know exactly why that is, but a woman is going to carry that stress in her body. So when a marriage is not going well, now I want to also uh, point out another difference here. And the difference, Bob, is so when we talk about emotional abuse, when we talk about narcissistic abuse and emotional abuse, which I've done a ton of research on and a ton of talking and writing on the topic. So typically, not always, but typically, an emotional abuse victim, a narcissistic abuse victim is going to be a woman. So that's another difference. So that men tend to overpower women, not always, but they tend to. Men tend to be emotionally abusive and not see it. So when a woman is in this emotionally abusive relationship, which sadly, tragically, many, many, many marriages are suffering from emotional abuse in that marriage. When she is with him, then she doesn't feel healthy. She doesn't feel accepted either. She doesn't feel emotionally healthy, but her body begins to break down. She has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or complex PTSD. And then when she reaches out for help to her physician, typically she doesn't get the kind of help she needs. When she reaches out to her pastor, most pastors, many pastors, I'm going to be careful here, many pastors haven't heard or understood the syndrome of emotional abuse. And so she doesn't feel heard, accepted. And so she goes and seeks acceptance, usually silently, and so we, we just have, we have a complexity of issues that are overlapping each other. David Hawkins here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website marriagerecoverycenter.com. Next up, it's founder and executive director of Life Ministries based in the Birmingham area, Randy Hemphill, who discussed that ministry and how he ministers to men. In our conversation, he discussed some of the principles put forth in the book, The Restored Man, Becoming a Man of God. Here now from that conversation is Randy Hemphill. I guess I found in my own story and walking with a lot of men that just doing what I call the religious assembly line, which is trying to change a few behaviors, uh, a few principles, I've just found that that doesn't work. And so for me, the heartbeat is to much more get into the garage of God's grace and to break down our stories, break down our relationship with God, uh, to experience restoration and um, what I would say even in the book is true biblical masculinity uh, that is very much being attacked in our time. But I think this is trying to lay out a process for men to walk through that 
isn't going to just deal with a few externals or changes that last a week, but I mean, really experience grace restoration. Uh, that's the heartbeat of, of this new book. How the book is written, it's very interactive. I think being a counselor and a, and a pastor, uh, I wrote the book in a conversational way. There's places where man can slow down, work through a story. You know, there's a whole section on knowing God as Father, which I've always said we've got to begin with our earthly dads who really shaped our understanding and image of God. And so getting in that garage is basically, I think, a way a man experiences restoration is by going back into his story, really doing some soul searching and understanding that we're far more more broken than we realize. Uh, I think the level of restoration we experience in Christ comes out of the level of, of brokenness we're willing to embrace. And so, you know, instead of just um, kind of giving a guy an impersonal program, you know, this is a very personal way that I think God fathers us as men through Christ by way of his spirit, and he just grows us. And, you know, this is something I continue to work through. I mean, I'm working through the book right now with a group of men on Wednesday nights. Um, you know, I'm really trying to live the very things I'm writing because I, I think it works and it's brought so much healing in my own life. Well, in the book, I understand that you talk about four phases of a man's restoration process. So walk us through those different components, if you would. Yes. Well, you know, Bob, in short form, the four phases are know God as Father, where we first uh, help a man explore his relationship with his earthly dad, and then bring that around to uh, seeing God as Father revealed in, in Jesus Christ. And I'm just a firm believer that the most important human relationship, I believe, for men and women that we have is that of our earthly dads. It just shapes us more uh, spiritually, emotionally, relationally than any other relationship. And so know God as Father. Then we move into phase two, which is knowing self. And that's where we, we really dive back into a man's story and journey. And I kind of take King David's life and parallel that with a man's journey. And this is where we're breaking the engine down. I mean, we're really getting our hands dirty and seeing, you know, what shaped us as men. You know, I've always said, Bob, when you meet a man, uh, he's got a story. And who we are today at 32, 54, whatever, you know, there's a long story that shaped that. So that phase two is giving a man the tools and the ability to go back retrace some steps and really kind of figure out who he is and particularly in Christ who he is. Um, and then we move into phase three, living in brokenness and humility, where we trace that beautiful biblical theme of God showing power in our brokenness, um, in our weakness. And then we round it out with phase four, which is walking with God in the disciplines. And I intentionally put that last i mean bob it's kind of like we we tend to start there with men we start with how to read the bible how to pray and i just find when we start there it feels incomplete because i put it at the end i think once a guy has walked through all of that we can begin to see the disciplines of prayer and bible study and confession through the lens of a relationship 
and actually see them as avenues of fathering. I mean, God fathers us through prayer, through his word. And so I intentionally put that as the final phase. So that those are the four phases in short form uh, that I think men will uh, enjoy and grow a lot through um, working through those. Randy Hemphill here on The Intersection. The website address is therestoredman.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast with one of the Benham brothers, Jason Benham, who discussed recent cultural trends and the challenge for Christians to get involved in speaking truth relative to the book that he's co-authored with Brother David called Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. Here now is Jason Benham. It says, okay, boldness and brokenness together, aren't those oxymorons? And, and, and in reality, they're not. Because what we like to say is, yes, it is time to stand boldly for what is right and true. But you have to recognize there's ditches on both sides of that road. The first ditch is boldness apart from brokenness makes you a bully. And what we mean by brokenness is that you are submitted. You're submitted to God in a spirit of humility. Our dad used to say, boys, only the horses broken by the master are fit to pull the king's chariot. So it's that broken horse, it's that submitted horse that is able to now pull and to become uh, uh, useful to the king. And we say the same thing, that God wants each of us to fall on him and recognize that he is in charge. Let him you know, tell us where to go and what to say, and that we need to recognize all human beings are made in his image, so we need to have a spirit of compassion. So when we talk brokenness, we're talking about genuine humility, submitting to God. That's what brokenness is, recognizing that you're just as much a sinner as the, as the person who could be the worst sinner out there. You're just as bad as they are. So in that spirit of brokenness, we want people to stand boldly. So the ditch on one side is boldness apart from brokenness makes a bully. But the ditch on the other side, and honestly, this is where a lot of Christians are today, brokenness apart from boldness makes a bystander. This is where people, they're submitted to God, and they're humble, and they're doing things for the poor, and they're digging wells and clean wells, and and, and they're doing all these great things. And David and I say, yay and amen, keep doing that. But they're not standing boldly in the culture when, when babies are being torn apart. They're not standing boldly in the culture when marriage is being redefined. And what happens is if you're, if you're broken but you're not bold, you become a bystander where you allow things to take place in your culture that ought not to take place. You know, even what Martin Luther King said, a man truly dies when he refuses to stand up for what is right. When you're going to become a bystander, you're going you're gonna to die. So that's one side is being a bully. The other side is being a bystander. But what we say is when your boldness is fueled by your brokenness, you now become a bridge that connects heaven to earth, which means you're connecting God to people who are disconnected from him. And our entire book shares stories of people who became that bridge. How is it that we can be bold to speak truth while still being compassionate toward those that represent a different worldview that need to hear the gospel? Such a great question, and, and we deal with that in our book extensively through, the, through uh, the use of story. And what we tell folks is that this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. This is, this is how you can't strategize on how to love people. You just have to genuinely love them. And we went through this when we were fired by HGTV, and we had people coming at us 
with fangs out and claws out with venom spewing from their mouth. We, we tell the story of this one man in Chicago, how just after David and I were fired and uh, he reached out to me and David through Facebook and he was a gay man. And he said, you know, he started saying things to me and David that I couldn't believe what he was saying. I mean, it, the, just the vitriol that was coming out of his mouth. And yet in that moment, David and I, you know, our, we're fighters. So the first instinct in us is, okay, let's fight. But God convicted us and said, don't try to win your point, win the person. So David specifically reached out to him and responded, look, I know you're speaking through your pain. I want you to know that we love you regardless of what you just said about us. And, you know, this man really fast responded back and basically dumped out his life story of how he was sexually abused and how he's been with other men and all of these things. And so we reached back out to him and we realized that the guy loved the game of baseball because we started up a conversation with him. He loves the game of baseball. He lived in Chicago. So David and I bought him front row tickets to a Chicago Cubs baseball game. He's like, what? Why would you ever do that? And we said, because we want you to know that God loves you and he's loving you through us right now. And so we bought him those tickets and he went to the game. And a couple of days later, he sent a Facebook message back to us with a link to the Mercy Me song, I Can Only Imagine, he said, since you guys sent me those tickets, and he, he said, for the last few days, I've been listening to this song, thinking about the love that you guys have shown me, and I have been praying, and I have fully committed my heart to Jesus Christ, and I am leaving my lifestyle, and I am mm. surrendering my heart to Jesus. That right there shows you what boldness and brokenness looks like is on the foundation of brokenness. Jason Benham here on The Intersection. The website address is Benham, B-E-N-H-A-M, brothers.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the Intersection Podcast through iTunes, also through the Faith Radio website and the Meeting House homepage. You can listen to or download the current edition as well as previous editions of the podcast. And there are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Full conversations featured on the Intersection podcast can also be found in the Faith Radio podcast from the Meeting House, available through a number of different apps. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection podcast, it's Tim Witter, president of the Parents Television Council. He discussed with me a recent letter that he had sent to the head of the Federal Communications Commission requesting a review of the media content rating system. Here now some material from that recent conversation this is Tim Winter. You know, we're here just now a, a year away from the loss of 17 innocent lives. And, um, you know, the president of the United States, shortly after that shooting happened, talked about a violent media culture as a contributing factor. He's right. Uh, this is something that the parents television, it's why we exist. I mean, it's, this is why the parents television council exists. We're here because of the toxic entertainment environment, especially for children and families today and helping parents navigate those choppy waters. And so we've noticed for some time that 
that, there, that there's more explicit content on television than there ever has been. And it is routinely rated uh, by the, the agency, the, the, the various companies, as being appropriate for a child to consume, to watch. And this includes graphic sex, violence, profanity, drug abuse, illegal conduct, disrespect for authority. And yet it is rated by the producers and distributors as being appropriate for a child to consume. And, you know, our, our, our analogy here is when you go to the grocery store and you look at the back of a box to see is this something that is healthy enough for your child to ingest, that's exactly what we're talking about in terms of how, content ratings. Parents rely on the Motion Picture Association to, to say, well, it's, P, it's R, it's PG-13. It helps parents make decisions. And here we have a rating system that is broken, it's fraudulent, it's dishonest, it's misleading. And uh, the president identified it. We were invited to the White House. We literally sat next to the president in the cabinet room. Uh, we talked about this issue. He instructed the Department of Education, Secretary of Education DeVos, to lead a safe school initiative. It includes things like mental health and access to, to firearms and so forth. It includes a number of different things. But one of the findings was that, just as you said, this, that, that the rating system is something that cannot be relied upon. And so we're, built, we're using this anniversary to call on the regulatory agency that has oversight of the content rating system, the FCC in Washington, the Federal Communications Commission, to investigate and, and dig into what we have. We have hundreds of thousands of hours of video that, uh, you know, recorded and archived we can, we can be a huge resource for them to show just how fraudulent and broken the rating system is, yet Hollywood tells parents this is what they're supposed to rely upon to make helpful and, and, and responsible choices. Each uh, media platform, whether it's motion pictures, television, video games, the music industry, each industry has its own rating system. So they're different systems. So as a parent, you have to learn all of them mm. and what each means. Second, every single industry determines for itself what to rate in terms of content. The Motion Picture Association of America is supposed to be an independent body, but it's funded by the Hollywood studios. In television, every network, each TV network decides for itself what to rate a show. If I were to describe some content to you, well, I never would over the air because it would offend your, 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 the sensibilities of your listeners. But if I were to describe to you content and tell you that the network made the decision to rate it for children, I think everybody would be shocked. But the reason they do so is, well, twofold. One is, well, they don't want parents to turn it off. They want people to watch because the more people who watch, the higher the ratings, the more money they make. The second reason is that advertisers use the rating system themselves. Many of the biggest advertisers in the world refuse to sponsor MA, mature audiences only rated content. That's like a really kind of a really explicit stuff. They will only sponsor shows that are rated TV 14 or younger. And so what the TV networks do is they put explicit content on the air they say it's 14. There is no accountability for being wrong. The advertisers say, oh, it's 14. We can sponsor it. Here's our check to pay for it. And it's outrageous. So, you know, you have, you have so many things that are wrong with the system. And its oversight is handed to uh, this group called the TV Oversight Monitoring Board, which is comprised of the very same executives who rate the shows wrong to begin with. And they're given the oversight. So, it's, there's, there's everything that's wrong, nothing that's good, and there's no accountability whatsoever to parents. So uh, that's how broken the system really is. Tim Witter here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to parentstv.org. 
Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Richard E. Simmons III, founder and executive director for the Center for Executive Leadership based in Birmingham. He provided insight based on his book, The Reason for Life, Why Did God Put Me Here? From that recent Meeting House conversation, this is Richard Simmons. This is something that I think um, is it's a question that we all deal with. Um, the, the early Greeks called us uh, or said that we are telic creatures and that we are basically meaning-based creatures. We desire uh, to, to live with a sense of purpose and meaning. And yet, you know, in the, the fast-paced world that we live in, I don't think that, that, that people stop and think about it, you know, often. And I don't think it's something that people even really talk about. But I think deep down, every single person wants to feel like that their life meant something, that their life uh, has purpose and meaning. And, in fact, there was a, 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 a survey done by USA Today, and they asked a large group of people, uh, if you could ask God any question and would be guaranteed an answer, what would you ask him? What would you want to know? And the number one response was, I would want to ask him, why did he put me here? What is the reason for life? So how is it that an individual, and and I'll put it in the context of men, that's really the ministry to which God has called you. So, so tell me how a man can really determine or discern his purpose in life. Well, I think the, 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 the place you have to start is to recognize that purpose implies design. I mean, you take your iPhone and you look at it, you realize this is not just a piece of plastic or a piece of steel. Somebody designed it, and then they mass-produced it. And that iPhone serves a real purpose. Well, the same is true when you think about a human being. It's a little more difficult maybe to kind of figure out, you know, what were we designed to do? But in order to figure that out, you've got to go to the designer, who is God himself. And if you look at the Bible, uh, throughout the Scripture, there are two clues And when you take these two clues and put them together, it gives you an answer. And real briefly, the first clue is that we're designed in the image of God. And part of that means that we are relational beings because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been in relationship throughout eternity. And you see that throughout the Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, how Jesus uh, uh, has a relationship with the Father and also the Spirit. But the second clue is not as well known, and yet you see it throughout the Scripture, and that is... Uh, for instance, in uh, Colossians 1.16, it says, we have, been, uh, we have been created by him and for him. In 1 Corinthians 8.6, it says, we exist for him. Uh, Isaiah 43.21 says, God talks about the people who I formed for myself. So God put us here to be in relationship with him. That's the purpose for our existence. That's the reason he put us here. This is why Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts will not find rest until they rest in thee. And you mentioned that passage from Colossians chapter 1, that by him and for him we were created. So there obviously is a, a purpose that he, here, that he has here on earth for us to glorify him and to reflect his glory and also to share the love of Christ, the presence of Christ with other people. So talk about this material in the context of how it relates to people that don't know him. Yeah, in fact, 
I, I appreciate you asking that because that really is what the book is designed for. It's really for someone who does not know Christ, who's searching, uh, who's trying to figure life out. Because, you know, if you, if you live without him, you're going to fit, find life to be very confusing and it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. Well, this is what this book was intended to do, is help people understand, um, you know, why they're here and to recognize that I am to walk through this life with God. But then how do I enter into this relationship? Because you have to enter into it. And I talk at length about that and I compare it to the other covenant relationship in life, and that is marriage. You enter into a marriage, it's a covenant relationship. You enter into a relationship with God, it's a covenant relationship with Him. And then you walk through life with Him. And that's what the book is intended to do, is to explain that, explain you know why you need this relationship, and then how you enter into it. And then we, uh, at the end of the book, we invite people and, and share with them how, if in fact they make that decision to enter a relationship with Christ, then how to grow in it. Richard Simmons here at The Intersection. The website address is thecenterbham.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's author and blogger Lori Stanley Roloveld discussing some of the subject matter included in her book, The Art of Hard Conversations, Biblical Tools for the Tough Talks That Matter. Here now from that conversation is Lori Roloveld. I spent a lot of my days either through my day job, working with families in crisis, or through ministries that I have, even in my personal life, encountering situations that where, where people have put off having hard conversations, and then you know the devastation that happens in people's lives as a result of that is uh, very frustrating for everybody. So when I work with people and I sit with them and have my own hard conversations, a lot of times there's a follow-up with the, the people in their lives saying, well, did you see this happening? What did you do? What did you say? And I have a lot of compassion for people who don't know how to approach those conversations. They're really, they, they're well-intentioned and they love the people in their lives, but they're not sure what words to use. They're often afraid of making things worse. And so I wanted to break that down for people and, and also let people know it's not a psychological thing. It's not something that's, that's new age or that comes from anywhere but the Bible. God has so much to say about how we talk with one another, how we listen to one another, and how we care for one another with our words. So that's why this is uh, biblical tools for tough talks. Give us some examples of how Scripture really addresses how we can participate and be effective in these hard conversations? Well, Scripture tells us that we need to speak the truth, also tells us that we need to speak the truth in love. Mm. And a lot of times, in, like in our current times, people seem to be under the impression that they have to choose, that they have to either focus on love or they have to focus on truth. And Jesus set the bar for the fact that, that there's no reason to have to divorce those two um, qualities, that we can speak truthfully and in love. So we know we're supposed to do it, but we don't do a lot of talking in the church about what that looks like. What does it look like to speak the truth in love um, in all kinds of situations? So in, in this book, I break that down in terms of different ways to prepare for hard conversations. What does it look like to listen and really understand a, a person and still not compromise what your ultimate message is going to be. 
how, there, there are times to be silent. I hope that people will be encouraged in this book. There's an entire chapter on the fact that there's a time to be silent and there's a time to offend. So there are times when we're, we're going to use all of the tools in our book and we're still going to say something that offends or hurts someone because it's just the truth of Christ. But hopefully we've laid a foundation of a relationship uh, in love so that we can continue having hard conversations. And we know that things are going to be perhaps better as a result of actually getting it out there, getting these things out in the open. But nevertheless, we... We don't do it. So so sure, what sure. what holds us back as you see it? Yeah, so I, I talk about three different kind of conversational types. There's nothing scientific about these. They were purely for illustration, but a lot of us in the church are sort of conversational turtles. We're so afraid of conflict or we're so afraid of emotions or we're afraid of, of something. Sometimes we're even afraid to speak something that's positive because it's so personal, we're afraid we'll cry. So we, you know, we clam up. A lot of times that fear is not about being afraid of what people think of us. It's more of being afraid of making things worse or turning people off to Christ. And so I, you know, I I give a lot of tools for turtles in this book about ways to prepare for conversations, ways to enter a conversation that that are going to improve your, uh, your opportunities for success, but also I give very specific words about different situations, how to be just upfront and vulnerable about what you're talking about. And the other conversational style I talk about are hawks. And hawks are amazing, and we love to see them in flight, but we certainly don't want to see one zooming down, looking at us as prey. And so some some of us as Christians are not afraid of conflict. We're not afraid of stirring the pot. In fact, we're worried that we're letting Jesus down if we don't. So... You know, I, we love that style. We need that style in the church. But there are also a lot of tools in this book for, all right, how can you make those conversations more effective? How can you make sure the person is with you in that conversation and not just running away from you? And then the last conversational style are chameleons, people who are, you know, can flip between both turtle and hawk fairly easily. But this is, you know, there are different uh, weaknesses that they might have that I can address, that I address in the book. Lori Roloveld here on The Intersection. Her website is Lori, then Roloveld, R-O-E-L-E-V-E-L-D, LoriRoloveld.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this edition of The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection through iTunes. There is a link provided from that webpage. Also, you can listen to or download the current edition and previous editions of the Intersection podcast. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. You can also get subscribed to the Faith Radio podcast from The Meeting House through a number of podcast apps. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.